Hey, honey. Hey, honey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm home. Go figure. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, man. I guess you could say, honey, I'm home. Oh, I guess you could. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I just kicked something over a Phillips. <laughs> okay. Um, so today we have a guest that we met while we were on vacation together, who is a yeah. mutual contact through Beamer, who um, everyone listening should be familiar with through one of our previous episodes. Yeah, she's the executive assistant, if you remember listening to that one. And if you haven't listened to it, you should, because she's fantastic. Yes. Um, and I, I remember really enjoying my conversations with Steven, but I don't exactly what we talked about. <laughs> oh, that's because Brittany was in mission mode. <laughs> yes, we were going to get somewhere <laughs> and I was determined. I was probably what, like 50 feet ahead of everyone at all times on the walk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, she's, Brittany does not have maybe the longest legs in the world, but she can like get places real quick when she's determined. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we, we had some opportunity to speak with him. We kind of got to know him and like what he did a little bit, but just not, not a ton. And so we wanted to take the opportunity to really delve into, you know, how he spends his time because it was something that I personally just had never considered to be a career, but at the same time, like, of, of course people do that. Like it doesn't just like happen on its own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so everyone, please enjoy this episode with Steven. Um, student affairs. Welcome back to Honey, I'm Home. We are here today with Stephen, and we're going to learn what Stephen does. Well, <laughs> um, my name is Stephen, and uh, I am an associate director within uh, residential education uh, within the uh, student affairs profession. Okay. And what does that mean? So I guess to kind of help break it down a little bit um, is really kind of think big and go small. So uh, I guess the, the biggest realm is I work in American higher education. So working with colleges, universities, uh, and uh, it basically in higher education. So of course you go through uh, grammar at memory school, you go to middle school and go to high school, and then they ask you to go to college. So basically a lot of the work that I do is working with college students, working for college students, working to support their development in uh, various ways and means when it comes to uh, graduating and getting either that really awesome job by graduation or, you know, uh, whatever their life goals tend to be after they leave. Uh, thinking like below that is uh, kind of student affairs. Uh, when you think about college life, you have really kind of two different um, I guess, areas within higher education. You have the academic affairs, whereas your, your usual professors um, and faculty members, your dean, people doing a lot more of the, uh, you're here to learn something involving your major and we're here to teach you those things in your major or your minor or electives, whatever that may be for your um, college program. On the oh. flip side of that, you have student affairs, 
So um, that is kind of like, <laughs> some folks kind of jokingly say we're the fun side of college, where, <laughs> <laughs> where you have like, you know, you go to class and you, you're up and you're out from like, you know, as early as eight o'clock in the morning to as late as seven, 10 o'clock, because, you know, there's always a major that has like a two, three hour lab on like the most inappropriate day. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> when you have your fun time, you know, you either go back to your room in the residence hall and you check up and you check in with your roommates or your suite mates, your friends and, um, that live with you, uh, or you go to your favorite student organization meeting or student activities, have a fun little, um, you know, event happening and say, oh, this sounds fun. I'm going to do this at the class or you're part of intramural team or, you know, like it, there's a lot of different things to help support balancing out. Like I'm here to go and get an education, but also um, I need to make sure that I'm well enough to do it. So it's kind of like yeah. the, the fun, engaging, um, developing the whole student mentality. So like, I know we all go to college just to you know, get education, but, you know, if you just wake up and you go to class and you study and you rinse and repeat for like um, nine months or all year round, if you take summer classes and internships, you kind of get burnt out very quickly. Oh, <laughs> and it, that's what happens to a lot of folks that I know. They get burned out pretty quickly because they zoom right through everything. But, um, but I guess that's how I read then student affairs and my role, particularly in residence life, kind of going like a little more centralized is, uh, you know, living in the residence halls. Um, we tend to be the folks that really have the quote unquote pulse of the community because, you know, if you live on campus, there's all this research about how you have better grades, you're better connected with campus resources, and you have a more enriched time when you're there compared to when you live off campus and you're commuting and things like that so hmm. uh I can see that <laughs> for sure because you're like it's so much easier to just like walk outside and just have something like new and unique be there and you don't really have to do much it's just like right here come and join and somebody's like throwing a frisbee mm -hmm. I don't know that never happened to me but there was always like something going on when I was on campus you don't have to worry about gas. You don't have to worry about parking. You don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about food because you can't like you don't have a kitchen anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything is just like right there, right for the picking. I know that was one of the big um, driving points for me when I was in college was the fact that depending, also depending on where you lived on campus, you could be like right in the center of everything. So it's like a short, but maybe two minute walk to whatever you need to do. And you don't have to worry about um, either driving there or taking a bus or taking a shuttle. Like okay. the places I actually worked and lived at, you know, it's like a good walk down the street and I go right back and just hop into my bed and like just, you know, watch TV or a movie or something like that, hang out with my friends. It's easy compared to even if off campus, you have to go through traffic and, <laughs> I know that everybody it's says great. that you know, there's always Jersey drivers and there's um, Florida drivers and there's South Carolina drivers. Like we're we're all bad drivers. Let's just say that. <laughs> like <laughs> we're all horrible drivers, and we should redo how we do driving. Like I'm just gonna put that out there. Yeah, and I mean this public it's more than just like 
driving too, because it's all the other stuff that goes into it. It's like also trying to find parking or like where we went to college trains, just like everywhere <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. you'd be on the way to class and they, they'd just like stop in the middle of the road and you're like well okay guys we've got to figure out either how to circumnavigate this train or i'm just not going to class today <laughs> exactly exactly it's <laughs> and of course parking these days is still the same I, I think one place i worked at the system was so weird that they always oversell the amount of student decals they have of student parking spaces than the spaces they actually have on campus. So if you can't find find parking, you're kind of SOL. And it's like, why is this a thing? Because people don't know. They just probably assume that there are always going to be days that, you know, people are not going to all be in there at the exact same time because classes stack. Mm -hmm. And also there are slackers. And, but I will tell you, as somebody who has, like, at some point in time lived off campus and had to buy a parking pass, be showing up there and not being able to park and, like, that you paid a ridiculous amount of money for, that mm-hmm. is infuriating. And it's all yes, about the but... money. Uh, yeah. I believe it. I can understand, like, where they're coming from, but I hate it. Mm-hmm. Girl, me too. <laughs> but I mean, um, what you're saying, though, if I think back to like my own days in college, most of what I remember learning and the, the most enriching part of my experience wasn't really what I learned in classrooms. It was the other stuff because you're exposed mm-hmm. to so much and everything that you could possibly have an interest in. There is like an there's a club for it somewhere and you can find people that can teach you like whatever, or they're interested in it too. And it's, it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the few times in our lives that you're just exposed to everything. You are absolutely right. And I think that that's part of why I love it so much uh, is like the number one thing that why I continue to like really love well, love and hate, you know, every particular field and job has there's, there's a love-hate relationship because it's oh, always yeah, you've something. Got it. You can't experience the love if <laughs> you don't have the hate, right? Right. But um, one of the biggest things is that there's there's always, it, it keeps me young. Like, I work with students <laughs> full-time, and it keeps me feeling young and feeling, like, sense of vitality in what I'm doing. But also, this is like, as you mentioned, this is like this this prime time for like discovery and mistakes and reflection and figuring out what you want to do and you know being okay with the fact that you might find out what that is by the time you graduate and you might not and hopefully you've had some experiences and some connections and some mentors that helped you at the very least start that discussion with yourself and that by the time you graduate, you have a lot of people in your support system to carry that conversation on. So maybe in grad school or in work or whatever post-graduation stuff you're doing, you know, you still have that discovery, that conversation that you you talked about. Well, I learned a lot outside the classroom, but just like the people I connected with in the residence hall or at this event or, you know, being a part of this team. 
Yeah. And sometimes you even, you know, start a podcast with one of those people that you met in college, (laughs) talking about all the things that you wish you had known. Full circle. (laughs) Exactly. We are proof that that is important. Stephen, throughout your times with Student Affairs, have you exclusively worked with residence halls? Actually, that that is my MO. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I, I'll start this. So, when when I kind of got that Student Affairs like bug bit me, um, and we do call it that, you know, the Student Affairs bug. Um, <laughs> my my starting point was always in residence life, like how I got into my career of student affairs was being an RA or resident assistant, um, call, either called resident advisors, resident assistant, they're, they're RA, they're that student mentor that lives in the hall and puts on events and do the, you know, um, they, they help with move in and check in and they do roommate, re- roommate resolutions and all that kind of fun stuff and, you know, let, I, I was that. I did that job when I was in college for three years, uh, three depending years, on where wow. you go. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, depending on where you go, uh, some places have it where you could only be an RA for one year and you have to reapply. Um, some is like you you are an RA and you're an RA for life and you may do an application to switch buildings or switch communities or whatever, what have you. Um, but very, very rarely are there places where you can be a, uh, what's called a third year RA or even a fourth year RA um, because, you know, there's a lot of people who want to be RAs, like like busting yeah. down proverbial doors to say, I want to do this. And it's for a variety of reasons. Um, some are very truthful and say, hey, I just want a free room and free dining hall um, access. Um, <laughs> because Housing fees are expensive, (laughs) Um, but there are some that like either they had a really good RA and they want to emulate that, or they had a really shitty RA and they want to emulate. They don't don't want to emulate. (laughs) They want to be what they wish they had. Right, exactly. So I was I was an RA for three years and absolutely loved what I was doing. Loved all of the connections I was making, and I was. I asked myself the question, I want to do this forever. I want to just quote unquote, this, this is exactly what I told one of my, um, uh, my colleagues back when I was um, at, at my undergrad institution. I want to go to school forever, but I don't want to teach. How can I do that? And they said, well, you, you could get a master's degree in student affairs. And I'm like, go what? on. <laughs> Because um, at the time, uh, I went well, I went to college for like a, psychi- a psychology degree, and I didn't know I wanted to do it. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that also. Right. Oh, it actually works because you're having to mentor people. You know, you have to be right. able to yeah. kind of get into the, the psyche and understand where they're coming from in order to be able to, like, properly mentor them. So it works. Exactly, exactly. And... 
um, I wasn't sure I was going to like teach it full time, like at a high school or, um, or like as a faculty professor or something like that. Um, but I was really big into um, abnormal psych, clinical psych and um, social psychology type of stuff. But, you know, I was having fun being an RA and doing a lot of stuff for residents life. I was like, how can I do this rest life stuff forever? And they said, there's a degree for that. There's an actual like educational process for this. I was like, really? Okay, I'm intrigued. And so did lots of research and realized that there's like a whole like other world out there, uh, like a full on student affairs profession where you, uh, you actually go to school and learn about various things like power education law, student development theory, counseling skills, um, uh, finances in higher education, uh, diversity education, a lot of stuff that really helps set you up to really do the work of like, supporting students in their time on college, in their time in college. Um, and when I went to grad school, a lot of what we did was, of course, depending on like your research and your applications and get whatever degree your uh, whatever degree, a master's program you have to get into, you're able to do that and um, do what's called an assistantship, um, where basically I do work and the program pays for the work I do, <laughs> and every, nice. every pays my degree. Um, and so there was lots of variety in what I could do my assistantship. I could have stick within residence life, um, or I could have gone into diversity education. I could have gone into health and wellness. I could have gone into student activities. I could have gone to campus rec. Um, but my heart was in residence life and I wanted to do a lot more with that. So I stayed in residence life. I think the only time I kind of steered away from it was um, the program that I had, you could do a, a practicum and an internship. So um, the practicum was more of like, um, for a semester, I could actually do a project with another office or department as part of my program and kind of, you know, get your feet wet a little bit. And what I did was working with our LGBT affairs office. And we worked on something called the out project. And it was an opportunity to help visually depict what it means for a person to come out of the closet as part of the LGBT community or what does it mean to be an ally of somebody of that community? And it was based off the the post secret, um, oh, uh, the yeah. post secret book from like many many years ago, and it was a Hold big on. I, I'm not sure what that is. The post secret? A oh, post secret? Oh yeah. So <laughs> so a while ago. It's still um, going. <laughs> I I'm clearly out of the loop. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um so. A couple of years ago, I forget the person's name. I think I forget the person's name, but Post Secret um, was uh, created by somebody who did this creative idea of like getting people to share their like deepest, darkest secrets with postcards. So you would get a postcard, and you would use either your own writing or. Um, or like newspaper clippings, you usually like newspaper clippings and pictures, <laughs> and magazine clippings and everything. Like I think 
one of so like one thing see, like other people were like having the same like deep dark secrets as you you're not like yeah. alone it's, oh that's so brilliant exactly, exactly. I, i'm sure i've like seen stuff like this i just like I live in my own fantasy world somewhere <laughs> and we're, we're like, and like actual editions like i think there's like three four different editions like made into full-on books that you could purchase Yeah, Post Secret was a, a huge guilty pleasure of mine for a while in high school. Just finding out what other people are going through in the world and feeling like, okay, maybe whatever I'm going through isn't, you know, oh, that so, bad. That's also exactly. so healthy, though, for kids that are not at the point where their brains are fully developed and they kind of think, like, they are the world and they're, like, all alone <laughs> and everything. And just knowing that there are people out there who just either feel the same way or people have their own stuff going on. Like, I feel like that's such a, that's such a powerful lesson in empathy. Yeah. So how did you put all that in your like project? So, so what we did was um, we created our own postcards and there's a whole marketing thing that we did for it. And we had these different cars stationed strategically around campus. So our student union, our LGBT office, um, our residence life office. So as people kind of come around and they see it, they say, oh, this is pretty neat. And if they need materials, we found ways to kind of um, offer them to them or say, hey, if you need materials to create your postcard, come visit us in this office. We'll give you what you need. Um, or give them specific suggestions about, hey, if you have these old magazines or if you have these old newspapers, you can use those as well. And if you use markers or whatever you want to do. And they will create them and then they will actually submit them anonymously. And we had this big event um, as part of a National Coming Out Day celebration, um, depicting, like, getting people to kind of have a conversation on campus about what do your peers think about an experience when it comes to coming out. And it really helped people understand a lot of the positives, but also the negatives that come from people um, who come out and how differences in identities, like if you are, let's say for example, you're white and you're coming out as a gay male, you know, that's a different experience compared to if you're black and a gay lesbian, uh, uh, yeah, if you're a black lesbian coming out, um, especially if the institution is in the South, <laughs> like how, how do people experience and see those lenses and what particular issues come up if they make the choice slash risk to come out in college. Um, and that really helped people think long and hard about, oh, I never thought about this or I've never experienced this, um, either because they're heterosexual uh, or maybe Christian or they maybe have part of any other privileged identity that may not fully grasp it because it's not their life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Dude. That's Can awesome. I ask, when you were doing this project, were you in like a like an LGBTQ friendly area? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, and I said it with quotations because the um, <laughs> My, my graduate institution is actually categorized as a college town and um, and um, data wise college towns are usually the most liberal um, regardless of the city or the state that they're in so you could be in like a very liberal college town and the rest of the 
county or the city you're in is red. <laughs> okay, um, makes sense. And and so and so and and I think that's kind of the interesting thing with it. Um, there's lots of opportunities to explore and see different perspectives. And there's always that big question about free speech and freedom of expression on college campuses. Um, but I, I, I think because we have such supportive uh, faculty, staff, and professionals um, in most of our colleges, universities, it, I would say yes, it is kind of like there is a support, there is the opportunity to be who you are. It's not perfect because there are still, there's still like you no know, systemic issues that are so ingrained in American higher education to this day that still makes you go, huh, it's almost 2022 and this still exists in American higher education? Really? Seriously? Can you explain <laughs> Like, can you give an example? So, so I think one good example would be the the need for standardized testing. And so there's there's this big push for a lot of people to say, you know, go and take the SAT, go to take the ACT, go and take the GRE for graduate programs, things like that. But we have a lot of people, especially in this day and age, that are that have testing anxieties. But mm -hmm. you know, whether you have like a great personal statement and you have amazing grades in school and you have amazing reference checks and everything for your program, some people focus on like, oh, how do they do on the standardized test that basically tells us mostly, can you test under pressure versus mm -hmm. are you a good person that would be great for our campus community and learn a lot from the education that we have as a member of the campus community. Yeah. But when you think about getting ready for a standardized test, you know, if you're not really a good test taker, you have to put so much resources like money and time and everything to do like, you know, yeah, SAT there's a prep work. certain level and, of privilege you, to that. Exactly, exactly. It's all about the privilege. It's all about the assumption that a lot of kids like, oh yeah, you can you can get a great grades and you can come over and um, take tests and do great. And it's like well, if we have the resources to mm -hmm. get us to where you want us to be, then that's great. But you can't automatically just say, oh, you must have this SAT score to get in. And then, you know, and I've, I've always heard different types of like rebuttals and like um, saving faces type of situations where it's like, oh, if we have three different students and we can't tell which one we want to bring them in, we always look at the SAT scores for like the final decision. It's like, mm, uh, I, I don't believe you, but you, whatever helps you keep up now. So, but, that, that, but that's the big thing involving access issues for American education where you would think, you know, home of like the, what, what, whatever, like, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, whatever they're saying right now, for like the US, you, we're, we always constantly say you should have access to education, like you should have that. You should want to learn. You should want to have the, that, that education background, do whatever you want to do. And if we keep saying, mm -hmm. oh, you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want to do in your career. Mm, I mean, if you are white, male, Christian, heterosexual, from a well-to-do family, 
yes, you can do anything, but if you're not any of those things, you will have some issues. Right. And mm. I mean, if you think about standardized testing, most of the time, unless you have a massive like learning disability, if you have mm-hmm. the resources, anybody can do well on those mm-hmm. under the right circumstances. And so it really doesn't, it says more about like the type of resources that you have versus like how actually smart you are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, luckily I, I was a good test taker. That was one of my strengths. So we could only afford to do one test. So we had to sit down and have a conversation about whether I would do the ACT or the ACT. Did I say that right? SAT or ACT. <laughs> um, and we had to weigh the pros and cons because we could only afford to do one. And I think it's a little silly that we want our students and our young people to succeed academically and we push this college thing, but yet the testing is so expensive. Yeah. And heaven and forbid you need to take it more than once. Exactly. Or if you need mm-hmm. to take like any sort of like prep classes, because those are expensive as well or buying like prep mm-hmm. materials. Because again, if you have access to those, it's a it's a code. Like you it's like you learn how to like crack the code. And if you can crack the code, mm-hmm. you can do well on the test. And then there's the actual like if you don't do well with the test, it's the extra money that you need to pay for the test after the fact. Cuz you mm-hmm. it's, it's not like a free test you can go in and you reserve. Like you have to pay to take the test. And they're expensive. I don't remember how much it is. It's been a while, but I remember being like, oof. Like 50 bucks or so, at least. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So, yeah, I can't imagine being like, maybe, uh, well, you know, what I was. I was a child of a single parent who was struggling financially. So, yeah, the the recession. I was lucky. But what if I wasn't? What if I was a horrible test taker? Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have gotten in. Or if like something had happened that was completely beyond your control. Like you had somebody in your room who like caused some sort of like issue so that, so that you weren't able to focus. And like that had nothing mm-hmm. to do with yeah. you or like how prepared you were or anything. It was completely outside of your control. Exactly. Exactly. And some folks just don't think about that. They're, and again, it's part of their privilege, you know. Um, mm-hmm. If you, like, it's something that you don't second guess or you have to actively tell yourself, oh, so I know I can take, I'm a good test taker, but what are some other factors that somebody else might not be a good test taker based off of things that they aren't able to control internally or externally? And what should and could I do to help mitigate that? Um, and, I, and I know there's like, things that have been done, like different, you know, like, and think about like the bigger picture of higher education, it's always like, you know, different, like legal issues and acts and, you know, um, bills, things like that to to really increase access for, but it's still a systemic thing. And I would say, if you have to ask yourself, you know, there's like need-based financial aid and things like that, you know, like if you have to create something to help another person get access to what you're trying to give them, why not look at the system itself and get rid of the system so that people can be in, people can go in on their own merit versus having to say, I want to go to this school, but I can't afford it. So I must apply to several different grants and scholarships to 
even get like a sampling of what I want to get to experience here. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. do we really need this? Should we just change the system outright? And I know that 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 brings up lots of different conversations about you know mm -hmm. free education and how, and you know not everything is free. And of course, you go back to the ripple previous, effects from that. Yeah. Right, right. It's, it's a whole. It's it's going to be a continuous debate involving that. But I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we went to like um, that. Actually, tied in very well to what we just talked about involving like other things that I got into in higher education. So like my two biggest um, passions um, is residence life and housing, um, but also diversity education. Um, because when you think about it, just as we just had this conversation, this part of the conversation right now. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, all that stuff ties in so well to just anything, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, like if you think about being, um, if you think about being in like a, the business world, you know, corporate, all type of fun stuff, um, you have to know how to be a good team member. You have to learn how to be good in projects and group projects, things like that. and eventually you're going to be paired up with somebody who is very different from you. So if you don't know how to look at your implicit biases, how to understand that there is somebody who does not think exactly like you, like you, you need to learn these things early on and practice them and take them to heart so that it doesn't bite you in the ass when you're like um, a white cisgender male and you're in a project with a black genderqueer uh, gay colleague and you can't get past, uh, I don't, I've never worked with somebody like you before. I don't know what to do here. I'm going to say some things that are going to get me in trouble with HR. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so worried about getting in trouble with HR. Like there, there's easy ways to around this, sir. HR is uh, no joke, though. <laughs> yeah, it, that reminds me a lot of a project that I had to work at at one of my jobs. Um, and I was working with a very, we'll call him traditional, white, cisgendered, older gentleman who mm -hmm. did not like the fact that I was in charge of him because I was the age of his children, his youngins, mm -hmm. as he liked to refer to them. And he would say things to mm -hmm. me like, I got youngins older than you. And I'm like, cool, I'm still in charge here. And <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we had a really tumultuous relationship because he could not handle the fact that I would ask him to do something and then expect him to do it. And then if he didn't mm -hmm. do it, I had authority over him. And I had to actually report him to HR for like <laughs> for like saying certain things to me. Cause I'm like, this is not okay. Like you're not allowed to talk to me like this in the workplace. Like we are colleagues, we are equals. This is not okay. Mm -hmm. Good for you mm -hmm. for taking that stand. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to do that because they're afraid of the backlash because I mean, depending yep. on your HR liaison, they're either good at their job and they can be fair mm -hmm. or they might not be able to get past some of their own biases. That's true. That's really true. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Steven, so many good 
topics that you're bringing up in student affairs and I know this is a really great conversation I'm enjoying it a lot yeah thank yeah. you it's, it's, it's that it's that weird yet kind of refreshing piece where when you think about just how college life is like more than just as you mentioned before it's more than just getting stuff out of the classroom it's what you do and learn outside the classroom like there's a lot from like just the bigger world that you can get just by learning something different from when you were in college and how that kind of sets the stage for everything else. Like, you know, college life is when you think about, you know, honestly, the world around you, um, where you have free speech and freedom of expression. Um, it's taught, I mean, there's, there's so much you can do with global warming by having different student organizations and different programs talk about, you know, what is global warming, where they came from, how do you help you know, to mitigate situation. And like, it's, it's part of the reason why I continue to enjoy working with and around different um, aspects of higher education, because that's, this is like the big moment for a lot of people. And I would, I would guarantee when you think, when you connect with, you know, folks who are in the golden years that and say, when was the most impactful time of your, of your life? I'm pretty sure majority of them would say, something about their college years um, or, you know, getting into college or being in college or leaving college because that's, it's, it's, it's been historically shared that college life is supposed, well, originally, I'm, I'm going to preface this, originally college life, higher education was supposed to be a time where you learn about yourself in a deeper sense. You learn about yourself in relation to the bigger society and the bigger global world, um, global society and the world around you. But nowadays, since it's a very economically driven field, uh, a lot of the work um, has been, uh, you go to college in order to figure out what field you want to get into and focus yourself into getting into that field and getting a job within that field. Um, I yeah. remember that's a huge part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that it's great to have both situations. It's great to learn about who you are and your relation to others in this world. So by the time you graduate, you're more informed and you're, and you have an educated critical eye of the world around you and you get to actually do what you want to do career wise. Um, but nowadays it's like, the, the the initial thing about learning about yourself is cast off to the side is not as important as can you get a job outside can you get a job when you graduate and it comes from a plethora of different sources you have it from the actual program that you're going into because if you graduate from this program at the institution it's a big marketing piece mm -hmm. to say hey we, we graduated this amount of people in our program and this percentage of this amount got jobs within uh, six months, within a year, so on Absolutely. and so forth. And, and this that, is what their median income is. Oh yeah, and that beefs up, you know, more notoriety for the institution as a whole, and it becomes this big rat race of mm -hmm. who can graduate the most people in the least amount of time, and it it negates the importance of, well, we're teaching them to be better people, so that our society can continue to 
grow and develop and become greater over time. Yeah, and, um, yeah. spot on. And I think, and I think something that is still weird to hear this, but I think um, I, I did hear that there are some some high school systems out there that are specifically telling people that you must know your major and what you want to do like in high school like as soon as you get to high school like you must like know what you want to do mm -hmm. yes yeah you must you must have your track ready to go and all of your high school courses and electives are tied into that track and by the time you graduate and go into uh, I think it's either a state school in that particular state, you, this, this is what you're doing. And it's all from that particular perspective, it's based off of the economy. It's like, we want to make sure that we have a good substantial working force to help push the economy. And, and I get that. It's, 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 a, it's a bigger intertwined thing that, you know, there's some strategic plan behind it, but not to the point of overshadowing what's, what's also important is like, can you work with someone who's different from you? Can you critically think about different issues? Can you collaborate? Can you be part of a team? Can you resolve a conflict effectively? Can you um, respectfully disagree on some things? Um, and if people aren't learning those experiences um, in high school, in college, outside of college, they're they're not going to be very successful, you know, in the true sense of success, in my opinion. Yeah, and there's a lot of like mentality around that where it's like, oh, well, they should be learning these things from their parents. But I mean, if parents don't know how to do these things either, then they're just going to plain not learn it, or they're going to have mm -hmm. to like find a way to do it on their own, and that takes a lot of that takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of resources and you know, I mean, it's just, it's not necessarily something that we should just expect that people can do. Right. And that's kind of like an interesting thing when it comes to residence life, when it comes to like, you know, when you think about residence life and how it fits into student affairs and higher education, you know, there's always the question of where are folks learning in the residence hall? Um, and so back in the day, when I was an RA, um, and in some cases right now, we have like an actual like programming piece where we focus on life skills. So, you know, kind of like going beyond the foundation of what you learn at home, you know, if, the, if this is your first time doing anything on your own, we have some life skills like how do you cook? How do you do laundry? How do you study? Yeah. <laughs> and all that type of stuff. Um, because there are some folks that, you know, depending on their home life and what they've learned before going to college, some folks may know how to separate lights and darts and knowing, you know, how a uh, delicate cycle works on your washing machines, things like that. And there are some <laughs> folks that, you know, they don't do that. And, you know, we all have different histories and where we come from. Um, but it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the terminal, it's the, uh, the phrasing of like, it takes a village. So it takes multiple experiences, multiple individuals to really help hone a couple of things to develop. So you have the home life, you have the family kind of foundational piece. You have learning from an RA, learning from a peer in, res in your own classes, learning from faculty members, both in a classroom when it comes to like classroom stuff, but also maybe um, like a research project or being a mentor type of thing. Um, and it all adds up over time 
Um, and it, it, it came to a point in my field that a lot of us do student affairs, we have to actually use tons of data and assessment to plead the case that we exist for a reason, that we may not always, we may not directly bring in money to the institution, but we do matter. And the stuff that we do in the residence halls, in diversity programs, for student activities, campus recreation, health and wellness, like we, if we focus on the idea of that, you as a student, you matter, you belong here, and we have tons of resources to make your time here enjoyable and inclusive, that, that is a return on investment that some folks don't necessarily think about unless they see tangible numbers that kind of can, that focus on satisfaction, to be perfectly honest. Um, and that's, that's been a thing for several years at this point um, where, you know, if you work in residence life like me or if you like, if I kept up with um, diversity education and did all of my experiences in as like a, an LGBT um, student affairs director or working as a diversity officer for a college university, you know, a lot of it would be like, okay, so what are you doing? What is, what is your office and your staff doing to help our, to help us continually get money in from our student population? And it's like, well, you, we, we don't, we don't, we shouldn't need to have to, to like, uh, to prove ourselves, but mm -hmm. that's right. kind of the, 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 the story right now, um, because we don't directly say, oh, um, unless you're in housing, actually, if you're like, I know I said residence life, there is like housing and residence life. And, you know, if we have tons of great marketing, say you should live on campus, like the more beds we have, in, the more heads we have in beds, uh, and the more beds that we have fields, uh, that gives money to the institution to do lots of things, like um, uh, like millions to billions of dollars to utilize just from having people live in a residence hall and pay tons of money when it comes to living in a single or a double or a triple or a suite or apartments on campus. Um, so that that's pretty much gravy, but. <laughs> if you're doing things focusing on like soft skills or things that you can't really, you know, There's see numbers wise. Monetary um, benefits. Right. Exactly. It's it's kind of, it's getting that cash up front. And a lot of things that we do in student affairs, you know, we do it indirectly. And folks have a hard time to see that. Which is hmm. really it's really sad that that is kind of the way that you know, our country kind of tends to, to turn. Um, we are very mm -hmm. much into like direct, like short-term ROI in the form of like financial, like benefits. And if you can prove that, then you're good. And if you can't prove that as easily, or like, you know, you can prove it down the road, but it's like a delayed sense, then it can be mm -hmm. really challenging to get people to change their, their mindset. Cause it's kind of like, one or the other. Exactly. Let me ask you this. What, what are the requirements for this job that you have to continuously fight for its validity? Like, do you have to have a master's in this? So it, it really depends on a lot of factors. Uh, if, so let's say, let's say, for example, um, you, you woke up when you're in high school and you're like, 
I want to be a student affairs practitioner <laughs> and you want to be a, a dean of students, for example. So to do that particular track, um, it, it is, requ it is uh, required to have a, a master's degree at least. Um, and so it's uh, a, a primarily a master's degree in higher education and student affairs administration. Um, and there's plenty of different programs that are out there. Um, and so it's, uh, and they're called different things. You know, you have like, you know, if you have like basically like an MBA, we all know what an MBA stands for and what that means and everything, but. Actually, you'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, can you just spell it out real quick? <laughs> Master's so in MBA. Business Administration. Right. Go on. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I guess for, for lack of a better example, you know, a lot, a good chunk of folks know about Masters of Business Administration, MBA, things like that. But when you think about student affairs master programs, we're called a lot of different names. Um, it's either student affairs, uh, student personnel in higher education, higher education administration, um, higher education student affairs, uh, student affairs profession, uh, it's, and of course, it's either an MS or an MA or MED. Uh, it's there are a lot of different versions, but the primary thing is that you learn the basics involving student development theory, how students um, evolve and develop themselves on college campuses, um, important um, topics and issues that are around higher education systems. Um, and uh, uh, beyond that, uh, if you, of course, continue with the example of being a dean, there are some positions mostly larger research one institutions so like your uh, your your like your 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 big big institutions that are out there um they may ask for like a terminal degree so they may ask for like a doctorate um that's preferably in higher education um to be there so so that's kind of like the the technical you know having a piece of paper in your hand type of thing but in terms of like the skills there's communication teamwork, uh, critical thinking, uh, understanding diversity issues, uh, a lot of the soft skills that, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. folks in like business, technology, economics, um, that are like, it's kind of good you have soft skills, but can you do the, the hard skill stuff that we're looking for? Yeah. Um, going back to like kind of pleading our case about the validity of higher education, uh, of student affairs in higher education, since a lot of the stuff that you need to know to be successful is more people-facing stuff. Can you, can you communicate with a student and um, help them solve an issue? Um, can you help a student in crisis if they are, you know, going through mental health issues? Um, not a lot of people in like the tech world or in the in, in economy or business world do too much of that. Um, and usually they need to hire somebody who does who does do some of this stuff, like a, a social worker or a consultant to do that for them because they just don't have that background. Yeah, it goes into something that Brittany and I were actually talking about earlier this week and about how like mental health days in business are just like not really a thing. They're becoming more, mm -hmm. more common, but like not everybody understands like the fact that sometimes you just need a, a minute. And it's yes. healthy and it's okay and just like back off. Exactly. 
And it's great yeah, that, you know, are- because of the pandemic, some folks are kind of sort of getting it originally. Now it's, it's kind of wavering, you know. Folks have mm. been the pressure about, you know, the economy needs to get back, the world needs to keep turning, we need to keep mm-hmm. making money so we can put forward. But, you know, it is very much an employee market where we've had a taste of what it means to do really awesome work while at home. And a lot of folks still to this day are not happy where we're being forced to come back to work. And the idea of self-care and focusing on, you know, I need to take care of myself and my family right now. Mm-hmm. How can we work together to make this work? So you get the great work that I'm still giving you. I'm just not giving it to you under your terms right now. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. People have been able to experience a really great like taste of work-life balance and not having to sit in the car and commute or being able to like work in yoga pants and not having to like spend all of their extra money on like nice clothes that you can't really wear anywhere else. And, or like being able to go to the doctor or what, or if your kid is sick and staying Mm -hmm. home with them and still being able to do all of these things. And then companies are like, yeah, but I would really like to be able to watch you do these things. And they're like, nah, I I can't, I'm not doing (laughs) this anymore. (laughs) Um, with COVID, how has that impacted what you do? So it's so so I will answer it in two ways. Um the the bigger picture, um, it's it really threw higher education for a loop. Um mm-hmm. because uh majority of the issue that we were going through when COVID really became a big thing and the pandemic became capital P pandemic, like everything was closing down and <laughs> everything was locking up. Um, the big question that we had was all of our international students who were in the States, oh, especially yeah. those who were identified, who um, were really being hit hard um, about where do they go? How do we get them home? Because, you know, Travel we're closing out all the universities. Oh yeah, we're we're closing everything down. And for the back of a better phrasing, you can't, you don't have to stay. You, um, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> and oh. a lot of folks' home is actually in the home countries. So it was a lot of <laughs> emergency funds, emergency meetings to kind of find out how do we help them go home and and go and just leave the leave the institution and the country um while we all try to figure out what is this thing that's happening what is this COVID phenomena that is really fucking everything over right now <laughs> it still is for the, but let's be honest um and and so that that was a big thing that that it, it really threw open diversity equity doors because we have yeah. international students who couldn't get home like how do we help them get home um, we have people who are who are also domestic students and said the same thing but they also could not get home how do we help them and so it really kind of opened a lot of doors on college campuses about how why 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 have we not thought about this um and for a plethora of reasons you know we never thought we would be in a pandemic we never thought right. that this would be a thing. And so this is a big crisis management um, educational piece for all of us, regardless if you're a small college to like the largest institutional um, system that we have in the U.S. And so, you know, it, it really got us to think a little bit about 
what gaps that we still have that were really just kind of like bold-faced, underlined, involving just diversity, equity, inclusion, and most specifically when it came to the Asian-identified students who had a lot of negative press because of he who shall not be named, um, really right. just kind of stoking the fires <laughs> um, and, and kind of just turning it as, you know, the quote-unquote China virus. And it's like, mm-hmm. why? Why? We don't, please, why? Stop. Stop. Yeah, like, let's, uh, there's no need for it. Like, oh, go on. Sorry. Right. And for, and for me and folks who are like me at the time, um, I, uh, the position I had at the time uh, compensated me with an apartment on campus. And so, you know, as being an essential staff member and essential uh, personnel for the institution, you know, I was required to do things to help the institution push forward and move forward as we were kind of picking ourselves together and moving forward and figuring out our plans to either come back in full force. And so some campuses, because of just how everything was really just messed up, um, they, they couldn't they couldn't take it because they need students to be on campus or doing some form of coursework to keep going. So there are some campuses at the beginning of the pandemic that you know, shut down or were absorbed um, in larger institutions. And it's small community colleges to private institutions to liberal arts colleges that they just kept being either shut down or eat up over and over. And, you know, part of it too, because, you know, there's, when it comes to America higher education, there's not a lot of money and investment going into education. I will say that right now. Um, And I wish it was different, but it's a lot of it is basically either scourging from like local governments to get money or focusing on alumni and donors. But when it comes to federal stuff, you know, it's, it's really more of if you do this or you don't do this, we will take money from you versus we're going to give you money to do good stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do you, do you feel like, and I know this is, kind of a loaded question, but do you feel like if the government were to do a better job of supporting universities and colleges and like higher education in general financially, do you think that that would have a positive effect on tuition costs? Or do you think that it would probably just stay the same and they would just start, you know, maybe making more of a profit and then maybe being able to even invest that more into the resources like you're talking about that are more than just like, heads in beds, it's like, okay, well, here now we have extra money. We can invest it in, you know, all these other places. I honestly think it depends because I, I, what, what immediately comes to mind for me is the idea of equity. And so the federal government is giving money, like just basically giving it, like just blanketed, we're going to give everybody a certain amount of money, but not taking into consideration, you know, some institutions that still have like a good nest egg or still have some things they can work on and support versus other colleges, universities that are like, we're on our last hay penny. <laughs> we're on our like last pence right now. Um, it's really taking a critical eye to see what institutions have that actual need to move forward. Um, and I, as I'm thinking about that, um, one of the things come to mind is um, one of the things I learned when I was in grad school was that the color, quote unquote, of money and how 
we can get tons of money come from different sources, but depending on what the source is, there are a lot of rules, quote unquote, about how that money is used. And legally, you can't use like donated money for something else unless the donor actually specifically says, you can use my money for X, Y, and Z, or you use my money to do whatever you want with it. So, oh, I think, interesting. So I think it depends on, you know, when you receive the money, what other rules and regulations are associated with that money? Because it, it's depending on like what the government can do, whether it's federal, state, local, however, you know, like that. It really is dependent on like when they're saying you can have this money, but if they're saying you can only use this for financial aid, or you can only use this for um, building this building, or you can only use this for faculty and staff stipends. Um, it's, it, it really is dependent on like what they're seeing the money for. Uh, and also, if the money is being brought in and there isn't any a lot of rules to it, I think in my opinion, uh, there, there can be some situations where the leadership of the institution can say, oh, so we have a billion dollars to use how we see fit. But the leadership can actually dictate what is ha what, what, what like board of directors, president, so on and so forth, can actually say, oh, I'm going to take this large chunk and put it in this. And I'm going to take this other chunk and put it in that. And, you know, may or may not be, um, uh, what's the word, uh, transparent <laughs> and say, oh, I would like to have uh, uh, a, a forum to say, hey, we have this $1 billion and I would like to get your input about where, we, where it should go. Um, I would like to hear from students, faculty, staff, community partners, parents, guardians. Uh, you know, I would like to hear from all different voices to how, how we could best use this money so that it's a collaborative community type of focus versus, well, we got the money. We can use it as we see fit because I'm the president, or I have the CFO coming over with me, and they're going to tell me how I should use the money, versus using actual data and anecdotal information mm -hmm. about where 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 is the most hurt, so that we could kind of put the money to where the most hurt is experienced. Yeah, and then a lot of times too, if you have somebody who is like a CFO, they're going to look at it from the perspective of investment. It's like, so where can we put this money so that we can get the max return? financially. And so it mm -hmm. might not be the place that really needs it as far as the community is concerned. Exactly. Sports. <laughs> well, that's the thing though, with a lot of sports, they bring in all of this money and then they put the money back into sports. And so it's like, mm -hmm. but, the, oh but not God. to the players, the players don't get it. Oh my goodness. That, I think that's changing. That, it's starting to that, change. I think so. Conversation. That, that is a whole other conversation. College sports is just, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, that's a hefty one. <laughs> Especially where we live, because we live in an area where college football is life. We, we don't care, care at all about the NFL. That is non existent as far as we're concerned. <laughs> Right, and, and I get it. I, I understand. Um, it's it's been f football in general has become this really big thing in America, and when you think about high school football, college football, especially when it comes to 
on different conferences that, ha that have really, really big draws to it. Mm -hmm. Like, it, I, I get it. It's, it's a really good cash cow. I mean, you have, like, the right coach and the right team at the right time. Like, that's, that's, that's mad bank. And it I is. get that. And, and, I, and, and you know, it, it does make sense where, you know, oh, let's put more investment in this because we're looking good right now. We're going to put the money into it. And the more money we develop it, in terms of marketing, getting the great stuff for our coaches and for our football teams, things like that, you know, that, that directly and indirectly brings in more people to come to games, more people who want to buy season tickets, and uh, more folks want to buy all the merchandise and materials to further market, and as if it, as the season continues to go great, and more folks are getting you know news reports and newspaper clippings mm -hmm. about what's happening in our teams, it's it continues to be this really big big thing. Um, Which helps with recruiting year, like, of future right, players. Exactly. So that, you can keep that cash exactly. cow going. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, how how come we don't do the same thing for? other areas of college, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or like, I understand the idea of taking like a percentage of the money that gets brought in by say football and putting it back into the football program. But I remember just like walking around campus. Cause it was back whenever our team was like really good. And we had all of this like stuff that was like, they put in like a new like jumbo screen, like in the, the stadium and all of this stuff. And like the building that I was like, taking all of my classes and like barely had running water. Like you couldn't, you weren't supposed to like, mm -hmm. you know, wash your hands in there. Like after they used the bathroom because the pipes were disgusting and it was like mm -hmm. toxic water. Like, can we mm -hmm. like maybe also, not invest the money there and like fix these pipes? <laughs> well, these athletes are going to school. They're, they're still students. So when, when their time to graduate comes and they're, you know, supposed to get this degree, how useful has that been to them for the rest of their lives? Whereas, you know, football would have been great and a lot probably end up going on to professional sports, but not, not a lot. all of them. Small percentage. But I think it has a lot to do too with like how they like take advantage of their like college degrees. But they, if they basically have a full-time job while they're in college, which is being good at this particular sport, but they're also not exactly. compensated as far as like, money is concerned and so they'll get things like they'll get like a meal stipend or they'll get um like some like shoes or like some nice whatever like material things but they can't have cash because then it gets into this like whole other like area and so like you have these That's students that are coming from like more impoverished families that are like literally not able to do anything because they don't have any money and they don't, they're not mm -hmm. allowed to have a job because they have a full-time job and they're a student and they have to like do all of these things. And it's a lot like putting on these, these kids. Cause that's what they are. They're children. They are teenage mm -hmm. boys most of the time. And like, we know from experience that they don't always make the best decisions. Hmm. I want to kind of take this conversation back to our regular structure because these have been really great conversations yeah we're getting a little sidetracked we're also i think at time yeah we're a little over time this is going to be a longer episode it's fine it's a good episode all right let's uh let's let's leave on like a really good high note steven tell us what your favorite absolute favorite part about your job is 
To be perfectly honest and frank, I think the, the most, my favorite part is whenever I'm like really deeply focused in the work that I do, like bringing students to conferences, being that mentor, uh, doing trainings and, and projects um, and presentations, you know, when I'm like right in the thick of it, getting this surprise gift or like message to say, thank you for what you do, Stephen. Oh. I really appreciate you like giving of yourself when you don't necessarily have to, like coming in on late nights sometimes, coming in at early mornings, coming in on weekends, um, responding to things outside of office hours, um, help me on personal and, per and professional things like, you know, and it, and it either can be something that's text messagey or something that uh, if you're friends on Facebook, uh, if it's like an actual thank you card or an email, it's going to be from a student or a colleague or a supervisor, you know, just kind of that, that heartfelt thank you. Because for, for somebody like me, I can really just get so bogged down into what I'm doing, um, which <laughs> has taught me the importance of self-care as I've developed myself from an RA to where I am in my career right now. Nice. Um, self-care is very important, but I would say uh, it's, it's kind of those surprising moments that come out of nowhere that is that thank you that helped me remember that, yes, I made the right choice to do this career. I made the right choice to to, to work with students, to really give them that sense of hope, motivation, insight, perspective, or whatever that context was for them, to, to really have that impact. Uh, and it continues, to, it continues to light the fire of like what I do on, on the everyday basis. And you know, this data, this is where I belong. This is the career I want to do um, for as long as I can. That's so sweet. Thank you so much for sharing that with us because I seriously have chills like all over my body right now. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad. But I mean, I think that it makes, it's, it's a huge thing though about the fact that, you know, you do, you know, there are certain people out there where their purpose in life is just, you know, helping make the world a better place. And there are people like you who are out there actually doing it. And, we thank you for everything that you do. Aww. Yes. Um, before we go, I do have two kind of smallish questions. You don't have to go super in depth, but sure. the first one is, can you have a criminal background of any sort in your profession? Uh, in, my per in my honest opinion, I would say no. Um, it, it, to keep it brief, um, I, I think depending on the the person who is hiring the position and the HR per, the HR personnel they were working with, um, it, it it could be like minor stuff. But I would say um, just from me applying to things, um, I really haven't had any issues to report. But I'm not sure of any other colleagues might have, and it kind of like made things more complicated for them. So um, I will stick with the idea of like probably shouldn't have anything in criminal criminal wise, but 
it doesn't hurt to apply. It does not hurt to still be honest and um, trusting that HR would do the best to say, let's look at a case by case basis. Okay, that's great. And then the other one is, what is the earning potential within your career? Again, that will vary. Yeah, it varies. It, it, it definitely varies um, with the position and the institution. Um, like I, I would say, if you work at a private institution, um, most many cases you would get more compared to like a public state institution. Um, but it's the same trend happens when it comes to progressing in the field. So, um, like if you work in residence life kind of thing, uh, graduate assistants kind of start around like maybe. Um, 20, 25,000 um, a year, um, mostly because it's, a, it's an assistantship and a lot of things, part of compensation is free room and board, things like that when residence life compared to um, other functional areas. Uh, full-time professional student in um, residence life is kind of like 30 to 35,000. Um, and when you kind of progressively move up from like a hall director to who supervised RAs to maybe uh, a resident life coordinator who supervised grad students and RAs to mid-level people like assistant directors and associate directors and um, senior housing officers like directors and assistant deans, associate deans. Uh, you know, you have like maybe going from like 50, 60,000 to 70 to 80. Um, if you're looking at six figures in student affairs, you can easily get that um, at dean levels, um, wow. at the very at, at least dean levels, uh, dean of students and above. Uh, but you know, if you think about like director of housing, director of residence life, um, I think those are like upwards of maybe 85, 90, maybe 95,000 a year. Okay. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and, that's, and that's with the degrees and experience. Right. Makes sense. Okay. Cool. All um, right. So if you want to be, you know, richer than a social worker, <laughs> but still make a difference <laughs> in people's lives, this is a great track have to people consider. Say thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. This is a pleasure. All right. Well, Stephen. Uh. We have taken up enough of your time today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I actually wasn't really sure where this conversation was going to end up going, but it went to some really great places. And I've enjoyed speaking with you and learning more about, you know, the, the impact that you're making on, you know, our community. And, you know, thanks for coming on. Yeah, well, she said. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Well, thank and then thank you everybody for listening to Honey, I'm home. If you have, you know, any if you're interested in coming on here and, you know, sharing with the world just like Steven did about how what you do for a living and how you got there, um, email us at honey I'm home, honey with three Ys, honey I'm home podcast at gmail.com. Like I guess right. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye folks. <laughs> Be well. <laughs>
you know, people's careers are a huge part of their lives and they are complex and there's nothing that is simple. So. Right. And I think we're really lucky in this interview to really showcase how passionate Stephen is about his career choice. Yeah. And I mean, it does, it makes you, it makes you really excited for the fact that there are people out there like Stephen who not only take the people who are like us and the reason that we created this podcast in the first place who don't really know what they're doing and like can be a little like, I don't know, almost like directionless at times. And, you know, having these resources to kind of help you figure out like what you want to do or, you know, how to get the financing for, you know, whatever and what your options are. And mm-hmm. just, I don't know. I mean, it's nice to know that there are people out there like him who just like it's they, they just love to just be able to just be at service to their community and making their community better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, until next time. Yeah. See you next time or Bye. hear you next time. Bye.